The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. gang i'm sitting down now with my pal mike heidner he's the svp of analytics and business intelligence at foundation direct in addition to ben yaley always got to get the name right who's the measurement lead over at foundation gentlemen thanks so much for joining me on the dealer playbook podcast thanks for having us great name by the way mike oh shucks (laughs) Uh, we were saying man most popular boy's name of 82 and maybe all the way through the 90s Yep, exactly. Yeah, I call Mike and everyone looks. It's It reminds me of this time I went to, I was speaking at a conference in Australia. And one of the things that blew me away in Australia is it. Like you walk down a street, it's a 50-50 chance that every second restaurant is a Thai food restaurant, right? You're like, oh, another, there it is, another Thai food. And the same with our name. If you meet a new man that was born somewhere in the 80s, it's a 50-50. His name's Michael. Yep. Like it's exactly. just the way it is. Then you just go by your last name or initials, like we said. That's what it ends up being. You don't yes. even use the name. Then your mom gets mad. Like, why yeah. is everyone called Mike or Heidner, not Michael? <laughs> Michael means like unto the Lord. They should respect the divinity <laughs> of your name. You know, Thanks, one of those mom. deals. Uh, let me ask you right out of the gates, a little bit of a get to know you. You and I actually have something in common. I, I notice from your LinkedIn, you used to work at Best Buy. <laughs> Great. You go deep. I used to work at Best Buy, but the Canadian version of Best Buy, before Best Buy bought it, it was called Future Shop. Yep. 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 I remember. Uh, and Shop. I was, and, and this was back in the day when uh, we wore suits. There was no uniform yet. Like this was back, I'm talking like 2000, 2001, something like that. We were full commission. Uh, there were dudes in computers and peripherals making like, 200 grand a year just selling computers because it was during this big boom driving Beamers and Mercedes and all these things. How do you go from Best Buy to Fox to Google to Foundation? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. I I joke that I've only had four jobs. I only have owned three cars. I know we're going to talk about cars Uh, (laughs) and it's like pretty boring on it, but uh, yeah, in high school, uh, wanted my parents uh, grew up in restaurants and went, I liked to cook, but they wouldn't let me work in the restaurant space. So uh, my sister actually worked at Best Buy and got me a job there. And I was uh, 16 years old uh, and I loved tech. So same thing. I was I was slinging cell phones. I did the first iPod release, uh, <laughs> which was awesome. And the U2 version that came out like a, you know, a few months later, the red one and people like lining up the door. Uh, and it caught me through high school and uh, part of college. They actually pay for college uh, if you work full time. So that was a, a great gig. Um, kind of what I learned there is how to talk to people and how to how to you know interact with people when it's like kind of cold calling. You have to walk to somebody have a conversation. We weren't commissioned right. though, uh, the ones in the U.S. So I wasn't getting any of those cuts when you know computers were four thousand dollars and I was I was getting those down. But um, I think that's kind of that. I think of what I got of every opportunity. That one was definitely talking to people and navigating conversations and how to open up a conversation or connect to somebody. 
Uh, and then while in college, I, I was looking at internships and got totally lucky that I was going to school for econ and Fox Sports. I was doing two interns into the Detroit, the Fox Sports Detroit region. And um, we were, I, I applied for it, was just going to school, interviewed, uh, and, and somehow nailed that one and fell into it. And what got, I got lucky there is they were launching the regional website. So I was helping with the television piece of recapping uh, TRPs or ratings around games and deal, dealer Metro Detroit Ford dealers were a big sponsor in that. So I was dealing with automotive, but we were also launching uh, regional websites was new foxsportsdetroit.com. So I got to go on that team and kind of learn the digital aspect and try to sell. It was new. All these guys were TV guys. I was only kind of learning marketing on a TV side, but how do we do something digitally uh, if we're doing video or content and putting ads around that? which connected to Google uh, kind of jump up was um, Google saw me as someone who had TV experience and digital experience, and they were just getting into YouTube right. and YouTube's big opportunity was the next television or people are pulling away eyeballs away from TV and going onto YouTube on your mobile device, even before connected TVs, even before that was a thing. Uh, it was back in, you know, 2013, 2014 and YouTube was their growth lever. So they were looking for TV guys that could talk TV lingo of impress <laughs> instead of, Digital impressions, CPMs, we're talking GRPs, TRPs, gross rating points and everything. What, what's TV lingo? Yeah, grow gross rating points, which is just math. Yeah, it's, for, it's frequency times, um, what is it? Frequency times reach divided by uh, opportunity impressions. So like what your market has opportunity, I believe it is. Uh, so I would actually translate, go buy, meet TV buyers in the digi- dig- at an automotive that were buying TV and convince them about YouTube was kind of what I first came into. I'm doing research and everything. So that's my full path. I'll, I'll stop there. But yeah, it's actually easy because a lot of people, if you look at LinkedIn, sometimes a long list, but it's just, that's the four. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I was, I'm always interested in that link because it's like, okay, I, I enjoy finding out how people landed in the vertical of automotive, you know, from a variety of walks, if you will. It's like, I even think about my, I'm like, how did I go from selling TVs and appliances at future shop to, you know, doing what I'm doing now. Um, Ben, for you, um, I I see you've got lots of, your path almost seems a little bit more straight, uh, uh, if you will. You you go from marketing analyst to senior marketing, like digital analyst, like tell me about your path to, to getting to foundation. Yeah, so uh, mine it it looks straightforward on LinkedIn, but it actually took a, a couple curves there. <laughs> Hard turns. Uh, I don't know if you got all the way down to the degree, but um, I actually spent college. I was studying classical music uh, performance. You know, I, I'm really oh. good at the French horn. Don't want to you know brag too much. Hold on, I'm, I'm looking this up. Okay, keep keep going, but I got to look at this too. Yeah, so uh, I was actually in my master's for French horn performance. Um, I you know. It's ends up, it's a lot harder than they tell you it is when you're going through <laughs> college and you're like, how many job openings were there this year? And they're like, oh, they're like five. And you're like, and who won them? And you're like, yeah, the people that have been playing, you know, 20, 30 years. Like, oh, okay. So in another 10 years, I can get a job. And actually during that time, I had a really close friend who was working at that marketing agency in automotive. And we, you know, we'd hang out on the weekends and I was talking to him and frankly, it seemed like a pretty nice life to, to be able to, to work and know what you're doing every day and not be, you know, fighting for the next gig and, you know, the, the 10 PM shows and stuff like that. Um, 
so once I got into that and I really liked it and yeah, then I just kind of took the, the more straightforward path. I went through auto for a couple of years, actually went south, outside of auto uh, and just was kind of in general marketing agencies for a couple of years, got to see what a lot of these other big companies are doing in, in banking and retail, stuff like that. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple months ago, heard that Foundation Direct was looking to step up some of the measurement side of things. Um, and I'd heard of them before, had a connection that actually recommended me, and it, it just seemed like a great fit. So I decided, yeah, let's, let's go back to auto. You know, it, was, Very cool. it wasn't a too bad of a time. Yeah. Kind of getting into, sorry, the future measurement on it is, that's, I'm just around the last piece you said, Ben, is it was actually kind of nice he stepped out of auto. Because I think a lot of us been in it for so long, and I've yep. been doing it now for 13 years, and I had a measurement piece, I had a research piece, and he got to step away and learn, do some learnings and come, and now coming back to it, I think has actually been pretty big. Yeah. You know what's intriguing about that point, too, is um, this, this shift in mindset. You, you know, automotive is such a big, powerful industry. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's the second largest industry in, in the United States, you know, employing one in four Americans. Um, and so the reach of it is so big. So when we get into automotive, we're like, that is the industry we are in, not realizing, oh, nay, nay, actually, we are in the digital marketing industry working in the vertical of automotive. And to your point, Mike, it's like the, the, that, that to me just kind of expands the scope of automotive, how, how far reaching it is and how much room there is inside of this industry for so many other, you know, whatever you want to call it, subsidiary industries to wrap around. You've got in dealerships now, you think like marketing directors from when I first came into automotive were, were like, wait, you know how to write on a fluorescent yellow post-it note? Yep. Digital marketer, you know what I'm saying? And, and wait, you, you know how to do a spreadsheet, digital market, you're a social media advertiser. Now the sophistication to your point, the, the, the sophistication of people coming into this industry, working in, at, you know, even a single point store, large dealer groups, so on and so forth is pretty tremendous. But now to your point in a, in a slight pivot here, automotive, I think because of its size has been able to hide under the cloak of ambiguity when it comes to marketing. And now here I have before me two gentlemen who stare at data or is it data and the sheer quantity, the, the amount of data we have at our fingertips now for some lends itself well to the ambiguity. Oh, there's so much you could do so much. My question for you is what is your day to day look like? in determining and or shaping the future of how we measure, how we analyze data, and maybe what are some of the, the things you're discovering about the direction we're headed there? Yeah, I guess one thing I'll start off with is now that we're um, looking at with all the dealers we work with, and it's hundreds and it come nearing thousands, and what we're starting to understand of your, your, your most important touch point. So which is digital. So I, at best, uh, best Buy, you're going to make me say that at Google, I ran path to purchase studies, which looked at how auto shoppers found the vehicle they found and the dealership they bought from and how they landed there and researching, surveying people that recently bought a vehicle. And while they're in market and seeing, we call it click stream, what they're doing online, 
um, lends a lot of data and people spend months and time. It's a large purchase. It's a, one of the biggest purchases right. people make. Right. And the touch points are, there's a lot of touch points. They're offline and online. A lot of them are still offline and can be, and it uh, makes sense to test drive visiting the dealership and doing those things. And we can talk about digital retailing. But when it comes down to it, we're seeing on average, the average dealerships get 700 visits to their website in a day. So you're not, you're not getting 700 visits to your physical dealership, but your digital showroom on average that we're seeing across our dealers that we're doing analytics for is seeing 700 visits to their digital showroom or their website every day. Right. And on there, multiple touch points. You have another seven kind of in here. You have probably seven tools or seven touch points on there that people can do. They can they'll go on there and look at a VDP or SRP. Um, they'll go on there. They can chat with you. They can text with you. They can do digital retailing. They can trade in. They can finance. They can reach out to service. They can call. And it's getting all these touch points together to understand what actually is working. And yeah, the ambiguity of, hey, they just come in and buy a car. But no, their number one touch point, how they discovered you, number one way we always saw on Google was searching for you in digitally. If I didn't know about you before. Right. And uh, the two things I want to know when I get to that point is price and inventory, which everyone has on their website. And I'm going to look at across five dealer websites. So how do you, I think the, the future is kind of Google analytics has been around for a long time. And I, we're going to talk a lot about that today, but I think now it's everyone's starting to get their, their hands on it. And I'm seeing people talk about their website analytics and their tools on their websites and the way that they can get that data and put it against something else or compare it to what's going on in the store is finally just starting to get unlocked. I don't know if Google Analytics 4 and um, you know has helped get people more tuned in as, as something a fresh start for everybody. Right. Um, but I think that's kind of been a piece of it. Yeah, and Mike, on that, you know, talking about what other industries have been doing the last two years when I was really just focusing specifically on measurement for clients. When I had conversation, especially in in lead gen industries, on you know, here's how many form fills you had in the last week, last two weeks, last month. They didn't care about it nearly as much as automotive does because they were already connecting it to actual sales. You know, how how was that becoming an MQL, an SQL? Could my salesperson call them? Was this actually a good lead, a bad lead? And these are the conversations that I got thrown into really quickly after coming from automotive. And right. I'm not saying, you know, every automotive dealer doesn't care about those or isn't optimizing to it. But from what I saw in the few years that I was here, it seemed really similar. And then coming back, it's the same, you know, there's, there's a lot that we're focusing on the form fills. We're focusing on key page views and those can be really useful. But as we start moving towards making dealers money, what is actually moving your vehicle? What's actually moving the needle on your marketing? You know, that's where a lot of the other industries have already started moving there and, you know, they weren't as concerned for some of the changes because they've already been looking at, you know, how many MQLs has my paid media driven? How's that changing over time? And it drove a lot more pointed conversations as to how marketing is really working for them. It blows my mind, actually, that in 2023, a Shopify custom embroidered patch company can track more about the story of how that patch was was purchased in addition to tracking the purchase 
than we can on these vehicles that now some common vehicles that used to be 60 are now 110 grand. It's like, guys, we need to figure this out for the big purchase. And part of that, I think, is where my my tongue-in-cheek tone tone comes from is like, well, it seems so cockamamie when you look at it through that lens. You're like, they sell a $2.50 custom embroidered patch or phone case or shoe or t-shirt, and you're selling a $70,000 Chevy Malibu. <laughs> Just for people listening in the future, things were a little rough these days. Inflation's you know, high, yeah. Inflation's high right now. Highest monthly payment we've seen, high, infl- high interest <laughs> rates. Hey, I got a great deal on this Malibu. It's only twelve seventy five a month. Um, but but how do we bridge that gap? Because I know integration and, and connectivity is is an issue there where, you know, CRMs need to be involved and DMSs need to be involved and analytics platforms need to be involved and website platform. What do we do there in 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 an effort to mitigate, I guess, what I'm the frustration I bring up? What do you see from your experience and wisdom to mitigate that right now for those listening right now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the first response that I've heard, and this is kind of when I jumped into it as well, was like, oh, of course you need to care about it more when you're selling a small scale thing. You're going to, it's probably just one to two touch points. There's all these things that you can care about. And then as I got into, especially the B2B SaaS space, where you're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollar deals that are going to span 12, 16, 24 months, you know, other industries are diving into it. And I think the biggest difference that I saw was just the willingness to take chances with their marketing, because I think that was the part, you know, they're looking at the sales and they can have a general idea. What does that sales timeline look like? If a lead comes in now, maybe it's 30 days, 60 days, you know, what's a good hand raising moment you can see in it. But more importantly, as we're testing things, And I think that's the big difference is actually testing things and saying, okay, you know what, during this time period, let's really, let's really invest in Facebook, you know, let's double up to what we think is a significant amount of budget. And you know what, if it's doing great, we're going to run with it. And if we see it not changing the needle, then now we know for next month that we don't need to spend that amount of Facebook to kind of move the needle there. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big difference that I saw was those kind of in-depth conversations and people really being willing to say, Hey, you know what? You you think you could do 15,000 this month and that we'd have a big difference. Let's maybe do a two week test. Let's see what it looks like versus the other way. And that's what I saw a lot in automotive is someone comes in and they say, Hey, $5,000 for Google ads. And that's what you're going to get. And, oh yeah, some of that goes towards your fee and oh yeah, there's right, a, right. another fee on top of it and you know all sorts of things that come in and the marketing budgets become a lot more flexible right? because they're willing to take learnings from it. And it's not just kind of a flat thing in that, you know, it's not a fight of like, you have 500 extra bucks, let's just throw it in display. No, let's make a smart test and let's see what display does and if we can see it move the needle, then we can adjust the marketing budget as a whole. Hey, stop Stop exposing all those agencies. They're this close to getting that Google ping pong table for crying out loud. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I would say, yeah, what what is surprising to me, and I guess if, you know, if we're going to call it like we're calling this the future measurement, but it's almost 
with Google Analytics 4 coming out, as I've been telling everybody, like, let's get back to the basics. And I'm calling it a clean slate. Right. Historical data for Google Analytics, Universal Analytics was around for 12 years. Everyone got addicted to their metrics there, or maybe we're getting honed in, and they get thrown into a world with Google Analytics 4. And now it's, hey, you have a clean slate to think of like how you would actually redo this or rethink mm. it. And I'm seeing that happen. And nice part about this, um, Automotive Standard Council is pushing to make more transparency. So, hey, those seven tools I talked about on your website, can I get more transparency of passing that data to, to me and maybe data dealers being more data owners or helping or working with someone that can help them be a data owner? And by that, I mean is... I understand now my website is my number one touch point for discovery. If I'm seeing hundreds, 700, like I said, on average visits to my, to my um, uh, website, my digital showroom, what, what can I get? What information can I get now? What can I pull from how they engaging on the page, but the tools that I'm offering to my user on there. And then like Ben's saying is, okay, now that I define that I like text messages, I think that's a good close for me when someone does that. What can I do to make more of those happen on my, on my website? And it's testing. It's actually a simple thing. And a lot of people don't want to sit back and wait, but it's, hey, let's start bidding on these keywords or turn on Google's new performance max or trying Facebook's automotive inventory ads in this way or boosting a Facebook campaign. Don't do anything else and see, did I get more text? And are those converting at a better rate? So I think if as we say future measurement, it's actually like get back grounded into the basics since you have this clean slate to do that. Get the data you need. Find your your truths that you believe that work and then test off of those truths uh, after you get grounded. I love it. it it's I, I love the, how, how, you know, the simplicity of, hey, don't waste this clean slate. Don't Don't look back five years from now being like, Dang it. We screwed it up. Now we're going to have to wait another 30 for another clean slate. Like I love that call to action, Mike, use this clean slate, develop a thesis and deploy a strategy around that thesis to understand what's truly working and what's truly not working for you. And I find, you know, this, this reminds me of, you know, years ago, a huge epiphany I had kind of in my growth personal development growth curve was realizing that the definition of success is a favorable or desired outcome and realizing, Oh, wait a minute. What, what Mike and what Ben think is favorable or desired could be different than what I think is favorable or desired. Therefore there's more than enough success to go around. I think about that and what you just said in, in conjunction to a dealership and what they're tracking and what they're looking for. Yes, car sales, but that's the easy answer. Yes, loaded up service bays, but that's the easy answer. Loaded yeah, CRM leads. like Yeah. What's your actual definition of success? What does that look like uh, in the context of analytics? What does it look like in the context of sales? What does it look like in the context of customer experience? What is it? So on and so forth. And if they simply do what you've just encouraged them to do, which is come up with that strategy, now you have something that's truly unique. Yeah, okay, great, you're a Honda dealer, but you have a guiding light that becomes your North Star by which you can reference against or measure against. And and maybe, maybe, maybe you may have just cracked the code, Mike, on 
how we can finally be happy in this industry. That'd be terrific. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the last couple of years of markets we've had now. Well, I mean, we're going to have a good year this year. It's up 12% new vehicle sales. So um, I think that's actually the perfect time to start playing with this stuff now that we're seeing maybe the new normal around. We want to say that because people are saying it, but like sales are flowing in (laughs) pretty profits, not where it's at, but that's when you, that's maybe the force factor is like, Profit's not where it's at. I need to get more out of what I have. How do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. This is, I love this conversation and it's, and it's timely. You're right. And I feel all sorts of urgency around it and desire our beloved dealer playbook gang to, to be paying attention to this, right? Wherever you're listening in the world, now is the time now, now, now to pay attention to what truly matters to you. Um, I want to thank both of you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, I'll start with you, Ben. How can those listening or watching get in touch with you and learn more about Foundation? Yeah, so you can always follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, That's probably the most easiest place. Um, I'll be posting some things, especially in regards to GA4, how you use it, how you start getting some of the data out of this. So yeah, feel free to hit me up there. Very cool. And Mike, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, same. Like good old LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on there and reach out. Uh, we also have foundationdirect.com. Just more about us. We, we do, we're we going to do some more blogging and these types of things uh, with some of the data we're sitting on and looking at and how we're joining it and analyzing it. Uh, so hope to bring that to everyone real soon. Love it. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.